and uh, welcome to Downstream, a new spiritual podcast that aims to take the airy fairiness out of uh, today's spiritual practices. So in this first series, we're going to focus on shamanism. I'll be interviewing Taz Thornton, who, among many things, is a well-respected shamanic practitioner. In this first episode, we'll discover more about Taz's journey to shamanism and take a look at how Taz defined shamanism. In following episodes, we'll look at various aspects of shamanism in more detail. So, for example, in episode two, we'll look at the different ways of working with spirit. Taz is a member of the Society of Shamanic Practitioners and has a strong record in business. She's a member of the International Business and Personal Development Association and the Institute of Enterprise and Entrepreneurs. She's fast developing a following as a motivational speaker and trainer. Taz's first book, looking at shamanism, storytelling and working with ancestor spirits, is currently underway and will shortly be published by Moon Books. So without further ado, let's hear the interview. Hello Taz, thank you very much indeed for coming along. I really appreciate it. And what I'd like to start with is just by understanding a little bit more about who you are, uh, what you do and, and where you've come from. Thank you very much for having me, John. That's quite a big question. I'll sum it up as best I can. Um, I guess it's been very, very small. I was seeing and sensing things that other people didn't seem to be seeing and sensing. And through a long journey... It's 12 hours. <laughs> it wasn't a 12-hour <laughs> journey, but it did feel like it at times. <laughs> Excellent. Um, what I now don't believe were a series of coincidences led me to my first teacher in shamanism. Um, and I worked with her for a while and then found another teacher and started to grow from there. And shamanism ticked most of the boxes for me. It's a very old path. It's believed to be the world's oldest spiritual path. Absolutely not a religion, so there's no dogma. So theoretically, people from any walk of life could come and start learning about shamanism. Um, and I think what made that ring true for me is that at the heart of it is animism. So the belief that everything has an energy. Mm-hmm. And if everything has an energy, we can we can work with that energy. And we can learn from that energy. And it wasn't about going off and trying to find the spirit of, of great Auntie Ethel and bringing back proof. It was about working with um, spirit guides, spirit teachers, elementals that I just knew were there. And I didn't need to start coming back with you know, little bits of evidence. It was stuff that I just knew and some of the the messages I was getting through were so heart-based and so empowering that it was time to take that forward. Um, and after a while, um, I was working with an excellent teacher in the southwest called Chris Lutterchow, who runs Northern Drum. I was working for as his assistant for a while until my spirit started kicking me so hard and telling me to go out and teach on my own. I couldn't ignore it anymore. And it was getting to the point where every time I sat in circle with him, Something would switch off and I'd fall asleep. And it was getting embarrassing, John. So right. eventually <laughs> eventually, I learned and I started out doing the odd day workshop and then weekends and then it span into, into the one-year training. And that gradually grew into bringing in empowerment work as well so that although 
shamanism is the core of what I teach and informs my belief system. The longer workshops now, at least the, the year-long training I run, is to do with using all, all empowerment techniques in my toolkit to help people find their own authenticity, to get back to who they can be, who they should be, to find their soul's path, and to just realise the awesome potential they all have that so many of us just don't tap into and are afraid of unlocking. Right, okay, so you, um, it, it sounds like you came, came into this and uh, you've then, after some training, have started to sort of develop your own line of it, is it? Absolutely, yeah. Thank you. So if we go back a bit, yeah. so, so how did you sort of fall into it then? What, what, was, it, what was it that, um, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean to be fall, you know, fall into it, but what mm. was it that, um, a, you know, a, a term is often used these days as awakening? Okay. Uh, to to uh, and to shamaning as uh, shamanism and um, and why why do you think it was it, it sounds from what you're saying it was shamanism because it rang true yeah as opposed to something else that, yeah. that did that was false yeah that didn't ring true to you yeah so where where was that uh, mo- uh, was it a single moment um, a, a, of awakening or was it a, over a period of time a sort of series of incidences. There were quite a few incidences. There were a lot of, if I look back and kind of do my own timeline, there were a lot of pivotal moments that that made me realise that things had to shift. So um, it, it was getting away from, from an abusive relationship. It was getting to a point in my life where I was so low, I was actively wanting to get out of life, uh, which ultimately resulted in me breaking my back. And... I remember lying on on a flatbed in hospital with my head and neck packed in sandbags and just realising that something had got to change. If you don't mind me asking, what what happened? Um, I was driving my car um, to get to to work early one day. I was a a chief reporter of news editor back in those days. And I, I, I gradually developed this theory that I didn't want to be here. Life felt just hideous um and so i didn't want to i didn't want to take the suicide route um it felt like that would upset far too many people and too many people would be left blaming themselves um i remember times now and i've done a lot of work to undo this where i used to i used to go to sleep praying to get a terminal illness it was it was bad so this eventually morphed into i know if I'm driving anywhere, if I drive like an absolute loony and take as many risks as I can, if I'm still alive at the end of the day, that means God, the universe, spirit, whatever term you want to use, that higher power wants me to be here. So that was the ridiculous lifestyle I adopted at the time. Um, so not just driving then, all types of... It was it was mainly driving. I, I was I was never I was never a drug user, or, but I, I did used to drink probably too much. I did never drink and drive, but I did I did adopt this theory that if I just took risks in life and I was right. still here, then I was that, meant, was to, meant be to be there for another day. So this one morning, I was driving to work, trying to get into the office early because I needed to be in the, into the office early. I didn't, but that was a reason to get out of the house and the abusive relationship a bit earlier than. Right. Gave, gave me an out and I started to, to overtake on the coming to the brow of a hill and then as a car started to come the other way I had this moment of realisation that if I carried on with this track I was going to hurt other people and I would never want to hurt other people this was 
it was my responsibility to make sure that even if I didn't want to be here, I, sh I shouldn't take anyone else down with me. So I slammed the anchors onto my car, lost control of the car, and ended up skidding down a nine-foot ditch and hitting a tree stump at the at the bottom of that. Crikey. And, yeah, I still ended up... It's, a, it's an interesting story, actually, a bit of, a, bit of an aside, but um, my best friend at the time, who I was working with, pulled up to the scene uh, half an hour or so later, I guess, and I was sitting with the people in an ambulance. And I still remember the look on her face because she saw the car probably her journalistic talent kicked in and she thought that's going to be a story nobody's walked away from that and then realised it was my car and I watched the the blood drain from her face and that was one of the first keys that get a grip Taz you, you are meant to be here this is even if you don't affect, don't actually physically hurt anyone you're going to hurt people if you're not here so that was key one um, and then my dad came to the scene and it's been a wonderful story to, to, to get to, to avoid any trouble and explains that I was an inexperienced driver and somebody had been coming the other way and I'd panicked and slammed the, the brakes on. So because there was no one else involved, there were, there, was, there were no police issues to be in. Thank goodness. Thanks, Dad. God rest your soul. Um, and then my parents and my boss at the time said, you are not coming straight into work. You'll be in shock. You need to go home. So I went through this ridiculous thought process of... I've got to get my this will date it. I've got to get my cassettes out of the car or someone will loot it. <laughs> yes, yeah. And then I went into Oh my goodness, my husband's gonna kill me. And then I went into how am I gonna get my car out of the ditch? Because I still haven't computed that the car was now diamond shaped and I couldn't just pull it out and drive off. Yeah. So I went back to my parents for a while and then it got to about I don't know, I guess half eleven. And I insisted, I'm going into work, I have these stories to write. So I went to work and I sat writing for a while and then the editor at the time said, You'd, you've had a bit of a shock this morning, I'm going to take you to the pub at lunchtime. In the meantime, staff kept coming into the office who'd seen this accident on the way in and kept coming into the office to say, there's a story there because nobody's walked away from that. That was me, I have. So lunchtime came and the and editor... you did literally walk away from I it. did literally yeah. walk away. Lunchtime came and I walked with the editor from one end of town to the other to go to the pub had a drink and walked with him from one end of town to the other, probably, I don't know, half a mile each way, something like that. Got back to my desk and it got to about three o'clock in the afternoon and I thought, oh, my back's a bit sore. So I called the doctor and got my mum to come and pick me up and take me to the doctor's and the doctor checked me over and said, I think you need to go to hospital, kid. So I went to hospital and they x-rayed me and then immediately put me on this flatbed and packed my head and... I can still remember the, the two surgeons looking at my x-ray in the corner of the room and sort of striking their chins and saying they needed to get a third opinion. And all I heard in that was spinal damage, spinal damage. And then all I was thinking is, my God, you idiot, you've taken all these risks. And what now, if you're still stuck here but you can't move, now what? And it turned out that I'd crushed three vertebrae. But luckily, where they were in my back um, and my neck I didn't need to be in traction I had I had a neck brace for a while and I was walking with a stick and I had a sling where I damaged some of the, the soft tissue of my arm but I was okay yeah and that was and obviously you've made, made a full recovery yeah here we are today yeah so you said you, it was, um, you, you were in journalism I was yes yes you were uh, a news editor yep I started out in journalism in my teens mm. always, always thought I wanted to write 
and I was just about to go into um, the sixth form and start another three years of studies when I went on work experience to what was at the time my local newspaper who were so impressed that they opened up a slot and asked me to come and take a traineeship with them. So... I must have thought, yeah, this yeah. is obviously my path. I did, after I'd got very angry. that why are they giving me these big tasks? Why are they sending me out to interview people? I'm on work experience. And they realised that it was, they're just testing your metal. So, yeah, and stayed in journalism for for years. I mean, I was, I was news editor by the age of 20 for a local newspaper group. Then I went into PR for a few years. And then I just kept being headhunted because... I've always been one for goal setting mm-hmm. and I think that comes into into my work today into the empowerment work I've always said right by this age I want to be doing this um, and ultimately one of one of my last career goals was I want to be earning more in pounds than my age in years right. and I did it and ended up as one well, of with thousands I'm taking yeah assuming, yeah, yeah. I, and I did it and ended up as the UK director for one, for what was at the time one of the world's biggest multinational publishers and then realised gradually that I hated it I'd spent all these years climbing a ladder that was up against the wrong wall and it had been excellent for the ego but shattering for the soul right, okay, that's a really interesting phrase mm. okay, and so and it took the the accident to help bring that to a um to a realisation. Well, the accident was was quite a few years before earlier. I think the accident. I was probably in my very early twenties. Oh, okay. okay. And when I took the the leap to, um, to actually go into self employment and and leave my lovely job and everything it everything it held and all that that security it gave me that was. Oh, let me think. Would have been, late late mid to late thirties. I think I did that. So there was still quite a big learning curve, but what was happening in the in the, in the meantime is I was moving from job to job. I, I I ended up developing a reputation for being able to go into publications and to just turn them around and to, to give new life to them and just completely rehash them, which was great. But in, in the interim, um, the extra cash I was earning gave me the ability to start going to train in some of the areas that were more fulfilling to the soul. So I, I, I trained in shamanism, I spent about a decade or so doing that, and I'm still learning now, every day is a school yeah. day. Yeah. Um, I trained in NLP, I did some energy healing, I was trained to be a Reiki master, um, I trained to be a, an empower, extreme empowerment instructor, a firework instructor, I trained with the same guys that trained Tony Robbins. And okay, and so what was, what when you started on these, what, what was your, because you were saying you were a goal setter, what was your... Did you have a sort of goal in mind yeah. then? Yeah, well, well, initially my goal was to, to go into healing, and I saw that as being hands-on healing, which I do, I do, I still do that. And then in working with, with my spirits, it, it became evident that one of the tasks I was being given for this lifetime was to help people realise that they were, as I had been, being being led by ego for a while, and, and, and they'd kind of put on all these layers, different coats, if you like, and they'd started to become what they thought they should be and what they'd been trained to be rather than what their soul meant, what their soul needed. Um, and the, the message I started to, to, to be given is that actually you need to work with these people more. And while work, working on a one-to-one basis is lovely and fine, you're affecting one person and perhaps the ripples of the people around them. Whereas I needed to be working with more. 
So my goal was to get to the point where I could work with in group settings and 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 then go into um into public and motivational speaking more and address crowds. Mm-hmm. Um which is kind of where I'm going. I'm now doing more group work yeah. and I'm doing more public speaking and that that needs to grow. Not because not because I want to go rah rah look at me but because that's how I can get to the most people. And it's not about converting people's views. It's not about dragging them kicking and screaming into something they don't want to do. Um, I know there are a lot of people out there who've got this kind of conversion mentality. Right, yeah. That's not me. If people are in a place where they are feeling disenfranchised with life or they just don't know what they want to be doing or they've lost part of themselves for whatever reason, when they're ready to find something more... That's when I want them to come to me. That's when I want to be able to help. I don't want to be changing people who aren't ready to be changed, but I want to be enabling positive change, rebirth, if you like, for people who have lost their way and are ready. Right. Okay. So there's. So what I what I hear is there is a that phrase enabling positive change, and there is um, uh, uh, empowerment was another mm-hmm. thing. So so that all these things that that you're looking to be able to uh, help other people with mm. okay and so when um and and i'm just sort of trying to pick up the journey so there's there was the the crash the accident which was one yep. key i think yep. you mentioned sort of key yeah um was was there anything else along that line that sort of that made you uh, because there was obviously some point there was a transition from when mm. you were doing this news editing and, and yeah. turning around these publications yep. and then you thought I'll, I'll tell you what i'll do a reiki course yeah um, it was. It was. I was working in in Kent. I was group editor of a series of healthcare publications, and we decided to start doing a series of articles on alternative healthcare practices. Um, okay. So yeah. it was literally the. Um, so it it, the, it went from there. So of course I already had an interest in that. I'd never right. tried it. I was still seeing and sending things and giving messages to people when spirits came through, and that yeah, was all and, fine. And did you know that at the time yeah. that you were doing that? Yeah, I've known that from being very 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 small and when I throughout my career whenever the opportunity has presented itself I've used that in my work so even on that that local newspaper the one I started out where I cut my teeth um one of the journalists there and myself did a did a, a feature on kind of local um high energy or spirit haunted places right and I went out with her and I was talking about what I could sense so it's always been there and I'd have dreams that that turned out to be precognitive or I'd just end up getting someone with me and then having to turn to someone with have, have, have you got a got an ethel somewhere in your past because she's saying this and most of the time yeah. it was accurate so that was going on anyway but then we were doing this series of articles on alternative health healthcare um practices and i ended up going and seeing a guy who practiced reiki in canterbury Right. Lovely place. Yes, good energy place there. Yeah, absolutely. And I was lying on his... He was a former policeman. So so that was another key. This guy who'd had this very kind of left brain, um, very structured role. Something had happened and, and he'd gone into being a healer. So that was another kind of turn in the, turn in the mm-hmm. lock. Um, and I remember lying on the bench, having this, this, this healing with him. And it was the first time I'd ever actually had any kind of energy healing. And while he was doing his healing, I felt... Um, a spirit I'd been always been aware of coming in and a very very physical poke in the leg and 
the, the, the visual I gave that is, you know, you see the, the symbols for kind of radio waves and there's a the series of little circles pulling out from the antennae. It felt like this series of little waves going through my body. And it was so physical. The, the healing was lovely, but that was so tangible. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't quite get over it. So that then led me to think, well, okay, maybe I should go and train in Reiki. So Reiki was the first first healing modality I trained in. Okay. And that's what started that. Yeah. From being able to quite literally sense the, the energy. Yeah. Way, yeah, physically feel it, yeah. which I hadn't considered before. You know, I've read all the books and seen the poltergeist movies and all the Hollywood Hollywood's version. Um, yes. But it had all been about sensing up until then, but to physically feel something so strongly. Yeah. And, like, okay. Yeah. So... so um, so you, you you were doing stories, as it were. Um, it's not stories. Um, uh, yeah, features. Yeah, fast. features. That, and, for, a, for a newspaper. Uh, and that led to another thing. And eventually you you came to... Uh, what, so so what was it that then sort of opened up the, uh, uh, doing a shamanic course then? Was it... Did you... Where, where was... Well, this, this does get very tree-huggy, as it was while I was in the same jog, job, and probably not long after that... Um, and this was before the days when we had Google. So, you know, the, the, the PC in front of you was for writing on and sending things <laughs> to the server and laying yeah. out pages. There's no internet. And the word shamanism kept being dropped into my head. And it was that simple. I had no idea what it was. Yeah. And I kept saying to what what does this word mean? And people would just, I don't know, shrug. And I went away and researched it. And then I found someone local who was teaching and I said yeah, can we come and do a feature on it because then of course I didn't have to pay for it, excellent uh, <laughs> wasn't aware of the power of energy exchanges back then, what can I get for free, my goal will be to find this and to not have to pay for it so I found this teacher and got set up for the course and then went into into London uh, for an event and then the bus I was sitting on crashed and I had quite bad whiplash, so I couldn't do the course. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you think of that? Did you sort of think, oh, well, I can't do the uh, I just thought, oh, never mind, I'd better get better quickly and, yeah. and find another one. And All right, but it didn't put you off, so you didn't no, sort of think... No, I wasn't that I, aware. Yeah, it wasn't no. sort of like, this can't be... No, yeah. no, I wasn't looking for, wasn't looking for signs back then. Um, and then what happened was um, I got headhunted for a job in, in Peterborough. And it was working for a, a series of... It was in healthcare again, but a, but a step up. And another one of those ticks in the box. It was double the salary. And luckily... Tough decision. Oh, terrible, yeah. terrible. But it did mean relocating. Right. And my partner's family were all in Kent. And I didn't think for a second that she'd want to move. Um, and it turned out she did. I didn't even tell her about this, this job offer for a long time. But the... the um, the headhunter kept calling and calling, and every time he called it, he upped it more until once the phone call came when she was standing next to me, and I explained what it was, and she went, well, why not? Oh, okay, fine. So um, we were booked in to go to a literature festival in York, and one of the speakers there had, had written a book that I'd, that I'd bought. I hadn't started reading it yet. Um... And when she started speaking, it turned out that her previous career tied in with the area I was about to write on. So I thought, excellent. 
author here moved into a different field, but background in the the profession I'm about to work for, mega brownie points. Let's sort out an interview with her. So I did that, and we formed quite a quite a, a relationship going going forward. We we chat about things, and she was interesting to talk to. And then she came forward and said she was about to start teaching shamanism. <laughs> Would I be interested? <laughs> and these conversations all came about because she'd emailed me one day and part of her email address was Wicca. Right, yeah. And when I'd been exploring, I'd started to explore Wicca for a while. Okay. Because it felt it was the only thing I could find. I was just in this, I don't know what I'm meant to be doing. I know I'm meant to be doing something with energy, something with spirit. And so I started to explore. So, yeah, the coincidences racked up. That led me to, to that teacher. And then that lasted for for a little while. And then I moved on to another guy who'd been recommended. Yeah. And I ended up working with, with Chris. Yeah. And the big doing it full time, it was a bit more convoluted. Because, again, I was still having this this fulfilling ego career. So we moved. We relocated. We... Um, I got an excellent deal and everything I asked for they were giving me and it was it was proper golden era. Excellent. I am I am queen of the world. <laughs> right. Uh, and again, gradually I just kept realizing more and more and more that the the job wasn't fulfilling. The more spiritual work I did, the more I got into shamanism, the more I started to explore areas, the more I realized that it was just the the coat I'd put on just felt very tight and and restrictive so I trained all I could there um, I trained in NLP as part of as part of my, my, my career progression I said look I've done this this is the best management tool I've ever seen you've got to pay for me to do this so, so I trained in NLP and again the, the wage I was earning enabled me to go out and start training in shamanism more and exploring other areas too and the imbalance just grew the more I followed the spiritual path, the more I opened my heart, the more I started to see the ego almost as a separate being. Yeah. The more I realised that I was turning... Once I started to turn down the ego, there was nothing there for me. Yeah. But what that was great for is that... Because I was one of the directors there, um, I only had a couple of direct reports, but a couple of times I'd see other people in the building, other staff members who perhaps weren't fulfilling their potential or were unhappy. And I'd go and speak to their line manager and say, do you mind if I do some work directly? And that started to produce results. So that just made me realise even more so that I needed to be working to empower people and I needed to be working to to help people rediscover their mojo. Yeah, yeah. And I couldn't do that when when my nine to five was not a nine to five. No, probably, yeah. it wasn't a nine to five, um, and it wasn't it wasn't filling me up. Um, my partner at the time was was running a copywriting business. We'd been quite fortunate in that we'd both been editors at the same place in Kent, and because I was leaving, she'd be relocating, and they didn't want to lose two editors at once. So they actually allowed her to work from home, which then right was really rare absolutely yes so then her redundancy came and she started running a copywriting business and then i started five to nining with her um coming back and doing a bit of copywriting doing some social media we were running a, a wonderful digital magazine for the for the twitterverse at the time right that's a lovely phrase by the way five to nining yeah five yeah. to nining um just to stay sane yeah 
and eventually I started mooting, just just suggesting that that I needed to leave, and that was a scary thought because we had no savings, we had a lot of debt because of course when you're earning you don't need to worry about that, don't need to pay off the credit cards, they're just there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and eventually I had to leave because it got to the point where I was putting on the mask to go to work. My stomach rumbling. Putting on the mask to go to work, and then I was coming home in the evening and just crying and then putting the mask on and going to work and then just crying um, in my lunch hour and it got too much but the absolute pivotal point that that made me realise I had to change everything was when I had a breakdown right, okay so this would be what, key number three? or key number? yeah, mm-hmm. well key number thousand and three <laughs> right, by, okay. by now I just yeah. hadn't been listening I didn't realise I hadn't been listening properly. I'd been doing little nods, and and eventually they had to just say stop. And we had a period of time that was, I think it was about eight weeks. Um, And the first of those was when uh, one of my aunts called to say that my uncle was was quite ill. He was an uncle by marriage, but it was quite close to this aunt. And I was saying to her, don't worry, it'll be be okay. Whatever happens, it will be fine. And then it turned out that, that he had cancer, and they'd caught it too late. So, of course... It wasn't fine. Mm. Um, So we lost my uncle. And then a matter of weeks later, my dad had been quite ill. um, And he'd been in hospital. And he came out of hospital. So we thought everything was fine. And talking about things going going full circle, we were driving back to that same literature festival on another year. And as I was driving to the event, my phone kept ringing. It was the aunt whose, whose husband had died. And I'd got a car full of people that we were taking to the festival. And it was one of those moments where I just knew, but didn't want to admit it. And I remember saying to this car full of people, Ash, just answer the phone. If Dad's died, there's nothing I can do about it. Right. And there was no sense that Dad would have died, because he'd just come out of hospital and it all was well. And so we pulled into the car park and I called back and my dad had just died. Just gone. Stroke in the middle of the night. Gone. Um... And I remember but just being in a complete daze. Everyone had got out of the car. I remember leaning out of the door, putting one foot out and calling into the car park. Sorry, guys, I've got to leave you here. My dad's just died. <laughs> and I got back in the car. And Ash got into the... My, my partner got into the car with me and we drove back to the hotel and packed up the things. And that's all a blur. All a complete blur. Yeah, I can imagine, yeah. And I remember getting back to my mum's in Leicestershire and they, they hadn't yet collected Dad and having quite a shock because, you know... People don't look wonderful when, they, when they've had that kind of death. And then a series of things happened after that. Um, lots of family issues came up that I was trying to take charge of and trying to deal with. Um, and then Ash was made redundant. And then um, she had a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. So in this short time, I lost an uncle, my dad, had a load of unexpected family stuff that I won't go into here to try and deal with and sort out. And then my partner was made redundant and then was given this this awful diagnosis. And eventually I just cracked. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Just absolutely cracked. And I don't remember much other than my mum and Ash trying to coax me out from under the dining room table where I just sat crying and rocking. And I went into doing some very, very deep work with my, my then shamanic teacher, with Chris, to, to pull out of it. 
and we did. We 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 got there. I was doing a lot of work with with some of the plant spirit helpers I work with. I was doing a lot of prayer, a lot of meditation, and the way he described it is was that it was almost like my my uh, my energy body had split into two. So there was one that was fun loving and really determined and really passionate, and one that just didn't want life anymore. Yeah. And as he described it, the two were refusing to share the body at the same time. So I had to do a lot of work to integrate the two. And that, I think, in terms of leaving work, was the beginning of the end. I think it was. Go on. Uh, no, I was just going to say, was uh, uh, does is that similar or the or, or the same as the your sort of ego? Um, uh, uh, because you were mentioning earlier mm. about having an ego side and mm. and uh, soul side. Mm. We, um, because it sounds a similar kind of mm. thing that you had a sort of fun-loving sense and a sense that mm. actually just wanted to let go. Mm. I hadn't considered them as being that, but it, it may well have been. I, mean, I, I tried not to look at it too deeply because I didn't want to examine it so closely that, that I uh, enhanced the split, the separation. Um, but yeah, it could have been. But it, it was certainly the... I don't look at it as a breakdown, it was a breakthrough. Yeah. Absolutely was. But I, I remember another one of those little keys is, I think it was only about three days later, um, we had a work trip to, to go and see head office in Paris. Mm-hmm. And I went. I got myself together and I, I went to the work trip. And I remember coming back in the car <laughs> and the, being the two directors, two other directors in the front, and I was sitting in the back, just business mask on. And I'm having a discussion as if I wasn't there, about whether whether Taz would be coming to the event that was on next week. And this little voice coming out from the back of the car saying, guys, my dad's just died. And then I'm still carrying on this conversation. I wonder if Taz will be up to coming to this. And eventually we're just going, my dad's just died! I've just come to Paris with you, my dad's just died, I have no idea! And I'm just saying, yes, we know, you keep telling us. And they meant well, and they were excellent and wonderful to work with. It was a great team, it was a great great people but that was the final you need to go and I didn't go for a while while after that but I started to dig my way out with a teaspoon yeah and eventually had to go not because they'd done anything wrong not because it wasn't a wonderful company but because there was now such a massive distance such a massive incongruence with where I was and what I needed to be doing yeah that's uh, an amazing description of how you how you got to that point um and one of the a couple of the things that were um um, that sort of were popping up in my head as you were talking was that uh, you were mentioning about um shamanism and so on Mm. um and you had a couple of different teachers and so on Mm. i I wondered from from your perspective what you Mm. think it's just going off into a slightly different Mm -hmm. time now but what you think shamanism is Wow. What, what is it to you? I guess that's the thing. Massive, massive area. Um, in fact, we, we had a, a group discussion at this at, at the shamanic gathering a few years back. Um, because, of course, if you look at the origins of shamanism and using that word, you know, that, that comes from Siberia. And essentially, our friends, the anthropologists, have, um, to use the colloquialism, buggered it up for us a little bit. <laughs> um, because they've gone out across the world and found traces of what they believed, to, of, of what looked to be the same. Yeah. And then the whole kind of, by Joe, that's that shamanism stuff again. Um, so, of course, it wouldn't have been called shamanism anywhere other than that particular part, part of the globe. Um, 
And there are lots of people popping up all over the world who have started to practice shamanism. And like any any field, there are the excellent ones and then there are those who are not so. And there are lots of, you know, I've spotted things popping up that just have shamanism tagged onto the ends that have nothing to do with shamanism. I met someone once um, who sat talking to me in a pub and said she also practiced shamanism oh wonderful well what do you do who did you teach who did you train with and she started telling me about this pack of cards she used and that there were various symbols she tapped into and that was shamanism oh right well the tarot well i don't even know what it was i don't think it was even tarot it was just a card system and symbols and that's not shamanism that's not my version of shamanism and of course it's it's so wide now and it's such an umbrella term that it's difficult to, to hone down exactly what it is when we had that discussion group, we decided that the, the core element of shamanism that, that united all of those practices was journeying. Okay, all right, okay. So for those who, who don't know, um, shamanic journeying is when you would predominantly, predominantly use a drum beat or a rattle beat or, a, or, a, or a, a particular beat to help go into a trance state. And in core shamanism, the belief is that it's your spirit leaving your body and going off to explore other spirit realms and that's how deep the, the trance is so you have to be safely anchored enough here to come back and you have to have that awareness to be able to come back to your body but your spirit is going off visiting other places and we decided as a group that if there was journeying involved we could safely say it was shamanism what it is for me Yes, I do do a lot of journey work, um, but I find there are an awful lot of misunderstandings out there about um, shamanism. Um, for me, shamanism is absolutely using journey work, and this is where I think my work sometimes gets bigger than the bubble that shamanism allows, perhaps, which is why sometimes mm. I feel a bit uncomfortable about using the term. I've got a disclaimer on my website saying this is what this is where it came from. I use it so that people can find these teachings. Um, yes, because it doesn't sound like you're you're ever trying to as you uh, be a, claim yourself to be a, sh a shaman. No, uh, but you no. using those techniques. Yes, yes, uh, and and encompassing it seems as empowerment. Absolutely, uh, yeah. absolutely. I w I would say I'm a sensitive. I would say I'm naturally quite psychically aware. I have been from a from a young age, and shamanism allows me to the the techniques I've learned through shamanism allow me to open doors and to bring more back through those doors and they allow me to explore more and they allow a much deeper so, sense of connection sort of psychic doors yes right. yes they allow me a much deeper connection with the with the spirit guys that i've grown to know and trust over many many years now um so when people come to my workshops yes i do teach them what would be known as core shamanism the, the, the michael harner phrase i never worked with michael but um that includes shamanic journeying it includes spirit song, it includes movement, and it it includes part of a body of teachings I've picked up from teachers I've used during, I've worked with in shamanism, but also work that I've discovered myself and also worked through my uh, guides. One of the most important and relevant for me areas of, um, I guess, indigenous training that ties into, into the shamanic stuff I do is this sense of, of victim versus warrior mindset. And in the shamanic path, we're, we're taught that anything that is not the path of the spiritual warrior is the victim. Right. And that's not very palatable very often. So what do I mean by spiritual warrior? Um, 
Well, the spiritual warrior is, is the part of ourselves that is working for the highest good at all times. Okay. And the part that accepts the things that come. So this situation might feel really horrible and really unfair, but it's mine. Thank you. I have this for a reason. I need to learn through it. I need to grow from it. Thank you. And even when the most difficult situation presents, it's being able to find that, find the wisdom in it to understand why you've called it, why it's come to you, to learn from it and to be able to say thank you and to be in gratitude for it. Um, and I think in, in terms of the Western world and the Western approach, because we all run around in our heads so much and there's, I've found there's such a head-heart disconnect. Mm-hmm. Um, everything, we use our brains for everything and that's wonder, wonderful, but for me the, the brain is, is the filing system and the heart is the processor. Yeah, okay. Um, so I work a lot with the energies of these lands as well and I find that in the Western world, because we're so used to this kind of swipe your card and get it quick uh, mentality, not enough people are working with the energies here, with the ancestral energies that are in these lands, and they are immense. So people speak shamanism and they immediately want to go and work with uh, work, work, work in, in the Americas or they want to go to, to, to Peru or the Amazon and start taking um, um, ayahuasca or they want to go and take peyote. And that's fine if it's a path you're drawn to. Yeah. But it's not my path, and it's not necessarily shamanism. For me, shamanism is about using journey work to access the teachings we need. It's about living as, with the highest intent possible. It's about understanding that we are all connected. And it's about having the deepest respect for everything around us and for being open to the teachings in every situation and whether whether it be elated or, or despair yes yeah yes whatever that may be and of course those victim warrior teachings deal with that as well um so i work a lot with the elements and if, if i'm thinking about the element of water that's the one i connect with with emotions that's the way i was taught from from my shamanic teachers and it fits because water is flow mm-hmm. and emotions flow and of course, we we as as people are are made from huge percentage of water. Yes. Um, you know, we we saliva is water, tears are water, sweat, perspiration, blood. It's all that fluid. And if we're sitting with a difficult situation in terms of those victim warrior teachings, we can choose to sit and to allow the emotions to flow, and to not bottle them up, but allow them to flow, allow them to come through, and then work through it. Where the flip side of that is, is is when we decide to drown in it and we sit in this pool of water and we say, woe is me, and we find we find secondary gain from that. And we use it and we can become used to... Okay, that's quite a good analogy then. Sitting. So you've got like sitting in a pool of water to the, the flow and power it. of water that yeah. you can get like, in, a, yeah. in, a, in a river, for example. Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned um, spirits. Mm-hmm. Um, you are saying so you teach the sort of core... Um, Michael Harner type mm. shamanism with, with, with sort of the journeying and, and so on. You mentioned spirits. Mm. What, what, what do you mean by um, sort of working with spirits? Uh, okay. I mean, it, it, yeah, I guess it's in a sort of a, a, a sort of short overview because it's probably quite a large topic. That one. It is. Um, so again, those those core shamanic elements really just provide some of the framework, and then it explodes from there. So when people talk to me about teaching core shamanism. Yes, I use some of those elements for the framework, but that's such a tiny part of, of, of what I teach. Um, spirits, for me, 
perhaps energy beings would be a would be a better term for it. Um, so yes, it could be it could be long lost Auntie Flo, mm-hmm. um, but it could also be energetic beings who've perhaps never set foot on this plane. So I work a lot with I work a lot with the spirits of these ancestors that of, of our ancestors here, which would be the ghosts of these lands, which that sounds a bit flaky in those terms, but. <laughs> With with right. the the ancestors the ancestral spirits and energy of people from people who have walked these lands long long before us yeah. and have seen so much, and have the threads of our own loosely termed shamanic teachings that that were hidden and trampled with the coming of the church, which is not to say the church is is a bad thing. It's just that things changed and because of the time, we had to hide and lose and bury a lot of our um, primal primal tribal indigenous. Yeah spirituality yes we became very much more materialistic we did we did so i work a lot of a a lot with that and that's where you have to really scratch the surface and i guess why to go off to a slight tangent before coming back in again why so many people do find shamanism and then want to go and train somewhere where the paths are far more visible you have to find it here you have to work for it here um to come back around spirits for me could also be elementals so um it could be the fae it could be the the spirit of a tree, it could be the spirit of a plant. Okay. Um, it could be the the energy of a building because again, coming back to this this belief set around animism, if everything has an energy, including an inanimate, including object. the chair you're sitting yeah. on now, John. If everything has an energy, you can work with that energy. So I might not choose to journey to the spirit of your chair, but I could choose to go and journey and meet the spirit of the tree sitting outside that's been here for. Hundreds, maybe thousands of years, who knows, and has seen so much that we won't find in books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you, David. So, um, and that would be like a subject of a, a journey, for example, mm. to visit a, a spirit of a tree or what have you. It could be, yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, actually, before I go, there was something I, um, I saw in one of your um, your excellent um, video logs mm-hmm. uh, that just reminded me of something you were saying was around um that you have spirit guides mm-hmm. uh so that sounds as if there are almost you've got that there are uh, now is, is those a reg uh, do you have regular spirit guides as well as uh, you know you might have an okay uh, you know a one-off guide come along mm-hmm. or um, and so that's that's one thing i get so yeah so uh, do you have um what, what sort of guides do you have where, where do they fit in um, I do have a number of guides that I work with for, for for specific reasons, but in terms of um, having lots of guides and then one guide popping in, uh, to bring that into kind of Western Western mindset, um, if you're training for something, you will have a physical teacher teaching you that. And then when you're walking through the street, you might meet a stranger who will say something to you that gives you a teaching, but that doesn't necessarily make them your teacher. Yeah. Or does it, as a whole? There's a whole uh, area to open up. Y- yes, indeed, because it may... I guess the, the, you could actually think it was delivered for you specifically. And it might it's just been. something they've said. And yeah. You know, actually, that, that that really rings to me. Yeah, that's a unlocked something else. a different else. thing that you're thinking. Yeah. yeah. So I guess the, the reason I'm saying that is that I believe spirits are around us all the time. And we don't connect with all of them. Just as you don't go to a busy shopping centre and go and shake hands with every person there. Yeah. Um, you, you go to where you're drawn. So... Um, I have I work with power animals, mm-hmm. um, and so 
I have lots of different animal guides, but I have one guide that I would say is my is my power animal. It's a real deep connection that's been with me for many, many lifetimes. And then I also have spirit teachers. So my power animal is there for support and gives me life guidance, uh, protection when I might need it, and just books me up. <clears throat> it's a constant support. Okay. And and power animals, where is... is um. Is, is that something um, that's quite uh, universal within um, shamanism? Mm. Mm. And, and that's so. Why why a power? Well, I'm not quite sure about what, what, what exactly means a power animal. Okay, well, in power animals are quite core to to, to shamanism and the shamanic um, system. Um, but I also believe they're used in lots of other spiritual paths, but they have a different name. I right. think we, we create a lot of division where there need be none. So if you're talking witchcraft and wicca, for instance, they'll, they'll talk about familiars. And I'm not convinced they're okay. different things. I think that it's same man, different hat. Yeah. Um, so if we just look back to some of those core shamanic teachings, we, we although there are... This is a bit of a brain melt moment, so stay with me. Concentrate, okay. here comes the science bit. There are, although there are, there are infinite realities all around us, all the time, and infinite possibilities, um, in, calm, in shamanism we work with three different worlds. Uh, top, middle and bottom. It doesn't, there's, there's not a hierarchy as such, it could just as well be left, right and centre, or mm-hmm. red, yellow and turquoise. Um, the lower world traditionally is somewhere that you would journey to to meet power animals and it's a domain where everything is natural and that's where you would go to meet a power animal. So different cultures, I understand it, have different beliefs about power animals, which essentially is just a spirit guide in animal form. It's that simple. Right. Some cultures believe you have just one power animal. Some cultures believe you have just one power animal and the bond is so strong with that spirit guide because you've been that animal in a former life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Some cultures believe you have one power animal and lots of different animal helpers and some believe you just have loads of different power animals. Yeah. And my philosophy all the way through, and I always say this in my trainings, I'm not here to tell you what to believe. If I ask you to do something and it feels wrong, if your spirits, if your gut instinct says don't, you always listen to that and to those spirits above me all the time. So I will give people that 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 outline. This is what different people believe. It's up to you to choose to run with it and to believe whatever you like. Yeah. What seems to have happened for me is that I've got one core best friend, part of me, hugely connected animal spirit that comes to me with guidance and support and holding. And I've got a number of other animal helpers who come in for for different things so i've got a couple that help me for different types of healings for instance um i've got one who comes in when i when i need an extra boost of energy protection um in fact tattoos are absolutely not obligatory to shamanism but i do have (laughs) quite a few now and they've all come from the journey um, the first piece of ink I ever okay. got. Well, as in the, the, vis- the, the vision of, uh, of yeah. what it looks like, what yes. you should have. Yeah, I'd always, <laughs> going off on a bit of a segue, um, I'd, I'd always been quite anti-ink. I think I was I was raised to believe that dockers you don't do and, it. Yeah, yeah, dockers, and my dad had a couple of very bad homemade ones he was quite ashamed <laughs> of, and always affectionately told me he'd hold my head under the bathtub if I ever came back with tattoos. It's <laughs> <laughs> proper body, body artwork. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I'd always... No, they're, 
dockyards and hookers and you don't do that. And then in one really, really powerful journey quite early on, I was working with, with a tiger spirit who came in so strongly that it made me start to doubt my power animal for a while. I did a lot of work to separate mm-hmm. what was going on there. And he was doing a lot of work with me to get to, to get through some of the stuff that I thought I'd got through but I'd actually buried from, from the abusive relationship I was in early on. Um, and at the end of this body of work, and it was a really tough body of work to go through, but that's the other thing about shamanism, it's not an easy path. Um, hugely rewarding, delightful, joyful, but not always easy. Anyway, this tiger slapped me across my shoulder and in the journey and when I looked behind it left tiger stripes all over my shoulder and someone I was working with at the time said that would make a really interesting tattoo and I went <laughs> yeah park that and about four years later it kept popping and about four years later having sat with it and realized that I did really want to get this done I did want this permanent reminder this this anchor I finally found an artist I could work with and had, for my first ever piece of ink work, my entire right shoulder covered in tiger stripes. Right. So, um... It was meant to be there. It was, mm-hmm. and I've found I've, I've, I've had a few since, and when, every now and then, if I have a guide that comes in that works with me very strongly, or something that I need to have a reminder of, just as some people have, have medicine objects or wear medicine bags, every now and then I'll have something tattooed, and it always has some some power to it so and most of those are animal related to the animal spirits i work with yeah thank you i'm not sure that's answered your your original question we've gone around in circles yeah no that that's fine it was well one of the things actually was picking up from what you're saying it was around um uh, um it's not an easy path and Mm -hmm. you've mentioned uh, for example, that I was having, I was working through that, mm-hmm. um, or, and I've, so a couple of times you sort of mentioned that. Mm. Uh, so uh, it's it's it very much sounds as if this is very much in, embedded with your with everything that you do and see and think. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's no kind of there's no longer a this isn't a hobby. No. Um, that this is how you live. No. Uh, is is that right? And 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 as you say, it's it's very rewarding and joyful. But there's no, but there's, it's not an easy thing. No, it's not. I think the the reason it's not an easy thing is that shamanism teaches us to take responsibility, and that's back to those warrior victim teachings again. Um, we all have the ability to respond to any given situation. Mm-hmm. Response ability, um, and in this from the place of the spiritual warrior we step forward and we and we acknowledge and accept that everything that happens in our lives is of our creation that we have manifested what whatever it is we need for the teachings we we need to to go on with um, and again even those things that that feel terrible we take responsibility for them and we own them now that can be a scary place in, in the western world we largely are trained to live what in the shamanic world would be quite a victim victim lifestyle yeah. so we're always looking for someone else to blame mm-hmm. uh, we look to blame circumstances for everything and whether that's being having an unhappy marriage or whether it's being in a job you don't like or whether it's it's not having enough money or or whether it's um i don't know having a, a some kind of ailment we always want to blame someone else um and of course, that can that that can create a distorted sense of things being easier because we don't have to take responsibility for it. But the trouble is, if we don't take responsibility for it, we can't change it. Mm-hmm. 
So saying yes to life, as one of my tears, Chris used to say, is uh, taking responsibility that everything for everything that comes to you, and either accepting it or working a way through it or finding the teaching in it, can be difficult because no more can we say, well, that wasn't my fault. It's because that happened. I blame the government. You, can, you can't. You have to just take take responsibility and work through it. So. I remember talking to to one of to an old friend who was starting out on the shamanic path at about the same time as me and talking to her about some of the stuff that happened through through my marriage. Um and there was there was some pretty grim stuff going on when the solicitor who dealt with my divorce said he'd only ever seen one case of marital abuse of, of that level. It was there was some pretty grim stuff happening. But I can honestly hand on heart say that I don't regret any of it I don't feel bad about it I don't wish him any ill I just hope he's out there and living his life to the full and not doing the not making the same mistakes we both we both made um and I believe that that happened to to teach me how to empathize with people going through other difficult situations because if you haven't experienced it Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, how on earth can you possibly understand what that person's going through? How can you be in a position to advise and to guide and to to help find 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 a path for them? Um, so I I say to, to some of some of what the Western world would perceive as being very dark times. I, I don't really like this dark light analogy either. There's, there's, yes, as in dark being bad and light no, being and good. And it's it's. It's not. It's just spectrums. It's the it's the colour. Yeah. If you if you don't if you have no shadow, you you you're not standing in the light, are you? As the old quote goes to paraphrase. Um, so yeah, it's it's not a it's not an easy path because we choose to take responsibility. We choose everything that happens, and we learn techniques to that for me almost feel like they're slowing down time. They're not actually, but you you you, you come to realise that before you make any decision, there's this tiny window of opportunity that will allow you to say what's happening when has this happened before and these are the options I can respond in any one of these ways which one am I going to choose and that's where you turn things from reacting to responding mm -hmm. so when we react we're taking away our choice when we react we're saying this is out of my control and that can be a very comfortable place to sit, but until you take responsibility, until you take control of everything that happens, until you accept and realise and and just just believe that everything that comes to you has come for you from a, for a reason and own it and work through it, you don't have to keep it. Sometimes you can work through the teachings and then put it away and discard it. But until you take responsibility for everything in your life, you can't change your life. And sometimes, if you're very used to sitting in that victim mindset, if you're used to blaming the world for everything, if you're used to blaming the world for for your surroundings and your life and your lack of income and your illnesses and your relationships, if you're used to blaming the world for that, then you, sometimes you don't want to to change that. You're in um, that habit. You are in that habit. Sometimes it's it's an excellent, very warm and cosy comfort zone. Um but I don't think a comfort zone is where we learn. Where we learn is just outside of that comfort zone. And it's stepping outside of that comfort zone that can feel difficult and not always easy. And to work with spirit guides and with, with the universe and the elementals as much as I do, um, it's almost living your life 
um, under their scrutiny all the time and constantly being open to, to taking guidance and to being able to switch things and to be able to look within myself very, very deeply and very, very honestly. And sometimes that's not very comfortable either. Mm-hmm. But unless you do that, there's a, the, you, you can't change. There's a, there's a wonderful um, uh, therapist, to use a very loose word that, that I know, and we're talking about doing some work together, a guy, guy called... Lindsay Barn, who's done some amazing transformational work and been through an, an amazing life himself, and his catchphrase, if you don't, is if you, if you don't go within, you go without. Right. Okay. And that's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Taz, that's been fantastic. I think this is a, a good place to, to to leave it at this page, um, stage. I'd love to uh, to talk to you again about because uh, there was so much that came up there that mm-hmm. I'd love to you know, um, to do a deep dive, as it were, and find out more uh, about the various elements that you were talking about. You'd be very welcome, John. Uh, that'd be great. Um, well, th- thank you very much. If, if people want to know more about you, what you mm-hmm. do, and um, where do they go? Okay, you can find me online, you can find me on Facebook, you can go to tazthornton.com, which has got more of the empowerment stuff and is, is still in an early build phase at the time of this podcast. Or you can go to firechild-shamanism.co.uk which has got all of the spiritual stuff and details of workshops coming up and that's where you'll find some of my blogs as well. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, that was Taz Thornton, who I'm sure you'll agree was absolutely top. Well, that brings us to the end of our first episode of Looking at Shamanism in our first series. If you have any feedback or areas you'd like to hear covered in either this series or a future series, please do let me know via the comments. Well, thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us for the next episodes. The next episode is Working with Spirit, but until then, be well.